All right. Good morning, man. Thanks good morning, for, brother. Thanks for coming to Chattanooga and joining us here at uh, Thank you. the F3, the, the Future of Freight Festival. Um, I, I think probably many of you mo know who Manti Teo is, and I'll just give a, a quick, quick, brief uh, background. And so, as a lot of you know, one of the, the top linebackers in the country coming out of high school in 2009, played at Notre Dame, Heisman finalist, played in the national title game in uh, 2012, uh, and then uh, seven years in the NFL. Um, most uh, prominently known as a new Netflix documentary out about a, uh, a catfishing uh, incident that took place when he was in college and has uh, opened up and has been talking about that and getting out and meeting with people. And so we're just excited to kind of hear from you and kind of your path and how you've gone through a lot of the, the trials that have, that have hit you over the years and, and what people here can learn about. I know now... Uh, uh, you're kind of a, a new man. You just have a, you have one daughter. You have another son on the way. Yes, I have, I have a beautiful daughter. Uh, she didn't like Halloween all that much. Um, trying to get her used to that a little bit. Um, but I have definitely have a son coming end of January, so I'm excited for that. Great. Well, let's talk about. Uh, you grew up in Hawaii, so yes. I know you come from a big family, um, a big Polynesian family network in in Hawaii. Uh, a religious background. You were, you grew up in a, a religious family. You went to Notre Dame. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of a lot of your your ability to I think go through what you've gone through comes back to your your family and your faith and uh, in your your heritage. Can you talk about that and your upbringing and kind of how that made you uh, prepared for what all that took place? For sure. How many of us in here are parents? Yes. That's the greatest job in the world, the greatest responsibility in the, in the, in the world. And so a lot of the things that I, that I know, how I think, what I believe in um, stems from lessons that my parents taught me, um, that my grandfather taught me. And I could, I could sit up here all day and tell you stories about my upbringing um, that kind of laid the foundation for me. Um, but I'll share with you three specific ones. Two was from my father and one was from my grandfather. Um, the first... I'll start off with the story about my grandfather. He worked construction his whole life. Um, in high school, he was a All-American running back. He went to college, played football, um, but then he had a family early, decided to go into construction, and he, he was working his whole life. So there's a point in time where my family, we lived with our grandparents, and I looked forward to around 4, 35 o'clock in the afternoon because that's when my grandfather would come home from work and would sit down at the dining table and he would roll out this blueprint, right? And I remember one day, I probably was about six years old. I told my grandfather, I was like, Papa, I want to do what you do. And he looked at me and he said, grandson, you don't want to do what I do. He's like, you want to be the man who gives me this paper and tells me to go out in the hot sun and put it together. And I was like, okay, what is that guy? He's like an engineer. And so he told me and he taught me in that moment that it's not good enough to just see what's right in front of you. There's so many possibilities out there to go and, and dream big and, and, and really try to experience life in, in, it, in its entirety. Um, the second lesson came from my father. Um, I was around the same age, five, six years old, and we were driving down, driving down downtown Honolulu, and there was a man, and we, we all see these individuals on the side of the street with a sign. And I remember I asked my father, I was like, Dad, why, why are there people like that? With, with these signs asking for help. And my dad, in his wisdom, um, he told me, son, I think there's people like that so that God will see who's actually willing to help. And so all of these lessons, right, I'm being taught as a young kid um, about life and how to live my life.
But the story that kind of changed my trajectory happened when I was five. And my dad asked me when I what I wanted to do when I grew up. And I told him, you know, like I said, my grandfather played football, played football in college. All my uncles played football in high school, played football in college. My dad played football. I grew up in a football town. I guess, like how you say, we're in SEC country. You guys know a lot about football. And so I definitely knew I wasn't going to play golf. I knew I wasn't going to play baseball. I was going to be a football player. And so I told my dad that I'm going to play football. His follow-up question put me on a certain path, put me on the path that I believe that led me here. And he said, son, do you just want to play football or do you want to be the best? And I told him what every child would tell a father who wanted him, wanted him to be proud. I said, dad, I, I want to be the best. So, so how, do you, how do you go about that? Like you, you ended up being the, the top high school player in the country as a senior. Mm-hmm. Like how do you go from being, you know, I imagine you're, you're a, a, a five-foot-tall five-year-old uh, who's working out every day. How do you get from being that five-year-old to being that top high school player in the country? What, was, what did you learn? Like, what was the discipline? How did, you, how did you get there? Well, the discipline was crazy. And this is why I'm a firm believer in parenting. Um, a lot of the times we want to tell our kids yes. But it's the no's that I appreciate the most from my parents. I didn't like them at the time. I didn't like when my dad told me no. I didn't like when my mom told me no. I didn't like when my dad forced me to do something. But I wouldn't be sitting in front of all of you if they told me yes. Um, My dad would tell me along training, he said, son, we had had long days of training. And he would say, son, there's one day, there's there's somebody out there that's working out just as hard as you. That's working out on the weekends. That's coming home, doing his homework, doing his chores, train every day. He's like, there's going to be one day you're going to meet that kid and your body of work is going to go against his body of work and whoever worked the hardest is going to win. And so I always had that thought in my mind when I was training, like, okay, man, I, I, I got to work hard because eventually I'm going to meet that kid somewhere in Boston, somewhere in New York, somewhere in Texas, somewhere in Tennessee, that his body of work is going to go against mine and I need to work hard. And so I trained and I trained. And there was one day, it was a Friday, and my dad and I were training as usual. But this day in particular, there was a festival going going on at the grocery store down the street from my house. And I wanted to go to that festival, obviously. And my my friends, we all kind of planned what we were going to do. But everybody know that, hey, Manta had training. And so I was working out with my father. And I saw my three friends walking across the street in front of my house. And my dad saw that I saw them, right? And he asked me, he said, what's the matter? And I was like, man, you know, I just, I want to go to that festival. And my dad told me, he was like, son, one day you're going to be living your dream. And your friends are still going to be walking to the festival. Your friends are still going to be walking to the beach. They're still going to be going to the theater and watching movies. You need to train. And so I think you guys all kind of hear the common denominator in these stories is my father. If my father would have let me go to do these things, I don't, would I still be here? I don't know. Most likely not. Yeah. You know, would I have been able to be the number one linebacker coming out of high school? No. Would I, would I have been able to almost win the Heisman in college? No. Would I, would I have been able to overcome, you know, the catfishing thing that happened to me in 2013? Definitely not. It it is all these stories and all these experiences from my childhood and from my upbringing that has created me. So you you talked about the discipline and the athletics and talked about uh, your faith and kind of the family. 
So the, the other aspect, looking at how you came up and, and, and your ability of being in the spotlight. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> I mean, I've looked at the interviews when you're, you know, ESPN showing up for your signing day and doing interviews off the f- football field in high school and then obviously going through college doing, I mean, there, there are probably hundreds, if not thousands of interviews of you throughout high school. And I, I was just struck by, I work with CEOs, I work with executives. Um, I, I wish that some of the senior leaders I've worked with at, at 50 and 60 had the composure you had at 18 in some <laughs> of these interviews. Um, how did you how did you learn that? Well, where did you where did you come up with? Did you ever watch somebody being interviewed and be like, "That's how I want to be," or "That's how I want to be able to handle myself mm-hmm. when I'm in public"? Honestly, I just did it. There were a lot of experience, a lot of opportunities for me to be on camera, uh, to be interviewed, to do conferences, and you know, I'm embarrassed to say in the beginning, I would cry in the beginning. I started when I was probably like 11 doing things like that right and I was so scared and I was so anxious and all of these feelings that I think we would all have in that type of situation especially as an 11 12 year old kid yeah that I remember the first few of them I would start to cry a little bit because I was so nervous right but like anything in life the more you run from from it the more you delay that you delay that growth and so I learned that if I just face it and the more that I do it the more comfortable I get even these kind of things right these these kind of events for me is, I remember my first one, I was, I was super nervous. I felt like I was ready, but then I got, got out here and just like the football game, the lights came on. I saw the crowd. I was like, uh-oh, here we go. You know, but I've done, I've, I've, I've done a couple of yeah. these and I feel a lot more comfortable than the first. So for any of us, right, if, if there's something that we're, we're not so sure about doing or something that we're uncomfortable doing, just do it, guys. And the more that you do it, the more experience you get, the more confidence you're going to build and eventually... You know, you'll be sitting up here talking, talking about your, your experiences. So, yeah, so, that's how I did it. So going to college, you, you looked at, I guess you were down to USC and, and Notre Dame, and you, mm-hmm. you chose Notre Dame because of the weather. It was, <laughs> most, most like, why? So I prayed about that decision, and uh, you guys are going to trip about this. So when I was in sixth grade, we had a field trip, and I asked my dad, Dad, you know, all kids, I don't know how kids do it this nowadays, but when we were young, right, guys, we had to fill up, our parents had to fill up permission slip. And so I had a permission slip to go on this field trip for graduating sixth grade. And I handed it to my dad. I was like, dad, can you sign this? And my dad, my dad said, well, make sure you pray about it. I was like, it's a field trip. <laughs> what's, what's there to pray about? So, you know, me being an obedient kid, I went into my room and I prayed about it. And I promise you, ladies and gentlemen, that I felt as a sixth grader that the, the answer I got was no. And so I went back into the room crying, my eyes all red, puffy. And my dad was like, what was your answer? And I said, no. I was like, oh, I feel like God said no, dad. He said, okay, great. What are you going to do? I was like, I grabbed the permission slip from him and I stuck it back in my pocket. He was like, just give it to me. The next day at school, I see my dad walking onto campus and he hands me the permission permission slip and it's signed. And he said, son, I prayed about it. He's like, and I think that it's okay for you to go. He's like, sometimes... The easiest thing is to get on your knees and ask the Lord for an answer. The hardest thing is to get up on your feet and actually do what you're do what you think He's telling you to do. Sixth grade, right? I don't. I wasn't even listening. I grabbed the permission slip and I ran and I turned it in, and I went on that field trip and it was the best time ever. That experience, I think, and I believe, was so important to my decision to go to Notre Dame because yeah. I wanted to go to SC. 
I grew up a USC fan. And again, we're in SEC country. Back in 2005 to 2009, USC was at the top yep. of college football. Like how Alabama and Tennessee, go Vols, good game last week, guys. Um, how the SEC is at the top of the college rankings, right? That's how SEC was when I was, yep. I mean, USC was when I was coming to high school. So I, I wanted to go to SC. Went on my, my Notre Dame trip. It was cold. Wasn't really my thing. Um, and I was like, ah, I don't think I'm going to go here. Went on my USC trip the weekend before signing day. Before I left, my dad said, hey, when you come back from this trip, we're going to talk about it as a family and we're going to decide we're going to go. So I came back on Sunday. Signing day is on Wednesday. We sat down as a family and my dad said, hey, where are you, you going to go? And I told him I'm going to go to SC, dad. He said, okay, make sure you pray about it. I said, okay. Monday, went to school. After school, came back home. My school was about an hour and a half away from where I live. And on the way home, he said, are you still solid on SC? I said, yes, dad, I'm still solid on SC. He's like, did you pray about it? I said, nope. He's like, make sure you pray about it. I said, okay, cool. Tuesday, less than 24 hours before signing day, I'm sitting in English class. Anybody seen the, the movie Dead Poet Society? Anybody? Okay, cool, a few of us. So you guys would understand that for those of you who don't understand the movie, I wasn't really paying attention. But what I did get was about a kid who wanted to be a poet, I believe. Um, but his dad wanted him to be something else. And I drew comparisons to this kid. I empathized with this kid. I was like, oh, that's kind of like me. Now, my dad isn't telling me to go to a certain school. But this coach wants me to go here. My teacher wants me to go here. My uncles want me to go here. Um, and so in the middle of the class, I said a little prayer asking God, like, God, like, where, where should I go? I want to go to SC. Is that the right place for me? Shortly after that prayer, I get a call in the middle of class. I let it go to voicemail. It's my dad. I listened to the voicemail. He said, hey, son, just letting you know that the coaches from Notre Dame just emailed and wanted to wish you luck tomorrow. Simple as that. He said, they, they know that you're going to be somebody special, but good luck. I walk up to the athletic office. I walk into the first office. It's my head coach. His dad, Charlie Arne, is in the USC Football Hall of Fame. And so I'm like, I'm, I'm yep. about to talk SC with this guy. So I walk in. He's like, where are we going to go tomorrow? And I said, oh, coach, I'm going to SC. And his reaction, my, my coach is really low key. He, he, he's not that energetic, you know, naturally. He's just kind of just chill. And so, but my, his reaction wasn't something that I was expecting. He was kind of like, oh, okay, cool. He's like, where, where else were you considering? And I was like, oh, well, you know, if, any, if anybody else, Notre Dame. He said, oh, okay, cool. And I asked him, I was like, what do you think? He said, uh, you just seem like, the, uh, like a Notre Dame type of guy. I was like, all right. I don't know what that means, but. but you, you, I think in the, in the documentary, you talk about how, like, you go to the, yeah. the next guy. And he's yeah, like, so then I go to, so the documentary, like, clips it short. I go to the next one, assistant athletic director, went to Ohio State, very energetic guy. He's like, where are we going tomorrow, man? I said, I'm going to go to SC. He's like, oh, cool, that's cool. Where else were you considering? I was like, oh, I, was, I think Notre Dame. He said, okay, well, man, Notre Dame got a huge alumni, bro. Like, they're everywhere, bro. Everywhere you go, you're going to run into a Notre Dame alum. He's like, hey, but USC got a good one, too. He's like, you're going to be fine. And then just like how the documentary covered that, going to the last room, and it's a man by the name of Uncle Gary Satterwhite, um, and he sits me down. He's like a father to me. And he says, he's like, nephew, what's up? What's going on? He could see that I was a little confused. And I told him, I was like, man, Uncle G., I don't know, man. I came into this building solid that I was going to go to SC. And after talking to Coach Colin, Mr. Holden, like, I'm not really sure. He's like, well, you know, I love you. He's like, you know, I love you and you can trust me, right? I was like, yeah. I said, like, what do you think? He was like, well, 
You're going to go to a place like SC and be the next great Polynesian player. You're going to be the next Junior Seau. You're going to be the next Troy Polamalu. You're going to be the next Ray Mauluga. All of these guys. I just thought you'd go to a place like Notre Dame and be the only man to tell. And it was as if God himself just told me. But again, guys, I, I don't think I would have had that type of faith-building experience had I not had that experience when I was in sixth grade. Well, let's talk about when you get to Notre Dame. Obviously, you have a tremendous career straight from being a freshman um, and then all the way to being uh, a Heisman finalist. And so <clears throat> that year starts off with um, in September, your grandmother passes away. Yeah. And then your the, the, your girlfriend um, yeah. passes away. You're told that she passes away. You go through the season, 12-0, and 0, uh, you're a Heisman finalist. Mm-hmm. You go to the Heisman Trophy ceremony. While you're there, somebody or, or in that time frame earlier, you're, you're told that maybe she didn't die. Yeah. And then you go to the national title game uh, a few weeks later, um, unfortunate outcome. And then you, a couple weeks later, Deadspin comes out with the story. Right. And basically says the whole story about the girlfriend that was, um, that long distance girlfriend that passed away was, was, a, was a scam. Yeah. Um, I imagine that January, I think it was like January 16th, 16th yeah. January 16th was probably, if not the most difficult, one of the most difficult days of your life. And I know a lot of people in this room, business and, and working through and starting companies and trying to develop something, there's, there's tough days there. Right. I think we can all agree that, that this might be, you know, uh, an exceptional answer of, <laughs> of it. Can you kind of talk through that day and, and, and how you, how you handled that? Because I just imagine trucks, TV trucks parked outside of your hotel and, mm-hmm. and everybody microphones in your face. Like, how do you, how did you handle that? That had to be, you're 21 years old. Yeah. I think it's important to, to bring to light that I didn't know. I didn't know to, how to handle it. There's no pamphlet that says, Hey, do this, do this, do this, and do this. Right. The only thing that I knew, ladies and gentlemen, was that I just had to keep moving forward. No matter if I could, if I knew what I was doing, no matter if I knew what tomorrow looked like, no matter how I felt, no matter if I even wanted to take that step forward, I just knew that I just had to keep going. Like there's a saying that says, if you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But no matter what, always keep moving forward. And I think sometimes when we're going through these hard these hard periods and these hard episodes in our lives, in our, in our careers, in our businesses, that it's those times that are the most important because those times are, 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 are the episodes that are going to help you to build those characteristics and those um, internal drives that when the sun does come up the next morning, whenever that sun comes up, that you're going to be the best version of you and a better version of you so that you can keep pushing forward, whether it's in business, whether it's personally, whether it's being a father, a husband, a brother, a wife, whatever it is, right? It's the dark times that I really appreciate because when January 16th happened, that was the lowest of the lows for me. That if you could picture rock bottom, that's what it was. And what I've learned about rock bottom is it's a beautiful place because there are only two voices down there in rock bottom. It's God's and the voice that you keep telling yourself in your head. That's it. The devil don't care about you down there because he's like, I already got him. I already got her. He's good. She's good. She ain't going to come up. He ain't going to come up out of that. Well, well, so 
the thing for me is the juxtapositioning between where you were to where you ended up in a very quick period yeah. of time. And so I know there were a lot of people who I mean, you're 21, you're being, you're, you're, you're going into the draft, you're at the combine, you, you, everybody's talking about how, how well you played. You've had all these relationships built up over the year, reporters and, and yeah. others, and then that all kind of washes away. And so, you know, I, I think of the example here of people who are building companies and, and the media is telling them, you know, you're reading your own clippings about how great your company is. Right. And something flips like a switch. Mm-hmm. How, how did you manage those relationships? Because I, I imagine there weren't a lot of, like you said, there weren't a lot of people down in that hole with you. Right. How did you manage that? Well, you understand that the best relationship that you can have is the relationship that you have with yourself and the narrative that you keep telling yourself. What is the dialogue that you have about yourself with yourself? Because if you're so dependent on what other people are telling you, then you don't have a firm foundation on who you are. And when you try to figure that out, as I had to do um, in a dramatic fashion, I didn't realize how heavily I was weighing people's opinions of me because they're all positive prior to that. Everybody was telling me how great it was. Everybody was telling me you're the best thing ever. And you don't understand how dangerous that can be until it becomes negative, until it becomes criticism, until it turns into jokes, into memes and all of that. And then I'm sitting there as a 21-year-old, 22-year-old, just f- trying to figure out, okay, who, a- who actually am I? Who is Manti before the lights, before the darkness, before the praise, before the criticism? Like, who am I? And when I started to gain a clear picture of who I am, like, who's the man staring back at me in the mirror? That is when I became very, very dangerous. And that is when I became very, like, honestly, untouchable. Because there's nothing you could say about me, whether positive or negative that's going to sway my foundation of who I know me to be. And so, unfortunately, it took those traumatic experiences for me to really try to figure that out. Well, so you get drafted. You you go to San Diego. And then you talk about how um, you had a fear kind of going onto the field every day. Mm -hmm. And I I know it was kind of a a fear of failure. And I know a lot of people face that uh, that, that, that imposter syndrome. I don't know if it was similar to that where you didn't know if you weren't going to be able to perform and people were going to be able to see through but you managed to get through that. Was that kind of coming from the same place or is that, and you feel, you dealt with it in the same way? Yeah, I think fear is our greatest enemy, ladies and gentlemen. It, it really is because fear is that thing that's holding you back. Fear is that, that cage that we're locking ourselves in, fear of whatever it is, fear of what other people may think, fear of failure, fear of what our business may do, whatever that is. I, I look at fear as that cage for me. Yeah. And so a lot of that anxiety, a lot of that, um, fear, I can't tell you what it, this, what it stemmed from, but it took me three, four years, even past that, even today, like I'm still trying to figure things out, right? We're, we're never, we never know everything, but the more that we continue to work through that fear, the more we continue to work on ourselves and we look at all of these trials in our lives as opportunities for us to level up and to evolve into the best version of ourselves, the more that we can get to a place where like, okay, cool, I can do anything and everything that is needed for me to do. So uh, kind of the most, to me, from uh, a media perspective, the most shocking part is that you, your transparency about all this. Because a mm-hmm. lot of people, when they get in that hole, they, they don't, they, they don't want to see a lot of people. They don't want to talk about it. But <laughs> right. you kind of go in the opposite direction. You're like, I got a Netflix documentary. I'm going to go out and I'm going to talk about right. this. So you, you, uh, you know, there was a, you tell a story about going to a Jay-Z concert yes. and, and the Hove telling you to go, go out there. So can you <laughs> talk about that, making that decision to be fully transparent right. about the challenges? Well, to give a little background to that, it was 2017. 
I just finished my first four years with the Chargers. I tore my Achilles in my contract year. I wasn't sure if my career was going to go past that fourth year, but fortunately and, and gratefully, I was picked up by the New Orleans Saints. Um, and so my first year with the New Orleans Saints, I call my Jay-Z years um, because before the year, Cam Jordan invited a bunch of us to the Jay-Z concert. And this is when Jay-Z was going through his little um, drama with Beyonce. And he had that four for four. Like we all do. Yeah. Like, yeah. He had that four for four album. I love the album. Um, but I, Cam Jordan invited us. I went there. And to start off this, this whole concert, he says this. He said, you cannot heal what you don't reveal. And for, for me, I was in that space where I was like, okay, cool. For, I've been hiding for four or five years now. You know, I haven't said anything. I haven't talked about anything. So I challenged myself at that time to say, okay, cool. If anybody asks me about what happened to me in 2013, I'm going to be open about it. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you that the more I started to talk about it, the more strength that I grew from it. And more importantly, the more I started to see people support me and the love and the respect that came out from that came in result of me telling them the story. So um, after that, I think I, it helped kickstart my career with the Saints and I had my best year uh, with the Saints. And that's why I always say it's my, my Jay-Z years because I had a little running joke with the, the guys on my team. I was like, I guess I got my swagger back. <laughs> <laughs> so so you, were, you were arguably the first you know, social media victim. Yeah. So before that point, I don't think people understood a lot of the dangers of social media. I mean, I think you talked about how I like, didn't even know what catfishing was until one of your uncles kind of says, yeah. it sounds like this is what's happened. Right. Um, <clears throat> obviously, social media has been around for a while. I don't think many people would say it's improved mm -hmm. um, in terms of it. I, I know for me, I talk to clients that use social media a lot. Is you got to be careful about um, how you use it and reading what other people say. And it can turn into a bit of a cesspool if you're not careful. Mm -hmm. um, how do you talk to people about using social media? Obviously, you're on social media. You're, you're, you haven't kind of abandoned uh, it in terms of it's, it's a useful tool. But how do, you, how do you balance that? Or have you talked to a lot of people about your, your challenges and kind of the lesson that you learned? Well, I think you hit, you said the right word. It's a tool, right? And any tool... That, we, that, that, that you may use, there's dangers to it. Like a saw, a hand saw, right? When, growing up, my dad, would, my dad used tools every day. And so when he had this hand saw, I was so scared to use this tool, but it's, it's so efficient in what it's supposed to do. But if you take that thing and you try to use it to do something else, it's very, very dangerous and somebody could get hurt. So for all of us, we all have tools. There's all different tools that we can, that we can use. Show, social media, is a great tool, but keep it at that tool and keep it at for what it's supposed to do. Um, and I think you should be fine. You should be safe as long as you keep it in that perspective. And so, yeah, just be careful, guys. Don't, don't be trying to get your, your personal worth out of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't don't do that because social media is a place where obviously everybody likes to put on their best self. Right. They like to put on uh, their highlights. They'll never put their lowlights on there. So a lot of the times people may start comparing themselves to what they see on social media. Keep in mind that they're not going to tell you how it really is. And so there's like, again, it, it's, it's a great tool to be used. Um, just be very, very careful and use it for what it's supposed to be used. And don't take that hands on and start to do something else. 
So people can clearly see you're not a very bitter person, even though some of the things <laughs> you've had to go through because yeah. of the actions of others. I mean, is that faith? Is that family? Like, what would you what would you say is the most What's brought you that that kind of peace that you have? Well, my life was a living hell for a long time. And I understood that in order for me to get that peace back, I had to be in a space where I had to forgive and I had to let it go. I was holding on to this anger. I was holding on to this rage and it literally was destroying me. And so in an attempt to try to regain whatever balance, whatever peace I had, I made that decision like, hey, I need to I need to forgive this person for me. I need to forgive this person so that I could move on with my life. And then the faith kicked in. And after I was able to re regain that balance and that sort of peace, um, me as a Christian, I thought as Christians, are we anybody Christian in here? I love it. So we all follow this man called Jesus Christ, right? And there's this acronym, w WWJD. What would Jesus do? Well, I asked myself that same question, question, what would Jesus do in this situation? Well, let me tell you what he did. And those of you who know the story know, when he was hanging on that cross, he said these words, forgive them for they know not what they do. If I profess to be a follower of this man, if I pro profess to be somebody who worships this man, then that is what I must do. If he can do that, after going through all of the things that he went through, the ridicule, the crown of thorns, the whipping, the abuse, being spat upon, being called every name in the book, and then to be crucified, and then to, to hang up there and say, hey, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, then who am I? And so I didn't want to make, meet my maker at the end of this life and him tell me, Manti, all the, all the times you asked for forgiveness, how come you couldn't forgive this person? I didn't want that to happen. And so I took that next progression in my life to say, okay, I need to forgive because Christ has paved that path for me. And so that's what I did. Well, I, I appreciate you opening up to everybody here. I want to ask three quick questions, mm -hmm. football related questions before we go. Okay. All right. They're all, you, you should have an opinion on all of these. Okay. <laughs> Tennessee, Georgia this weekend. Tennessee. All right. All right. We're in Tennessee. So we're going for Tennessee, you know? Uh, Alabama. Georgia's number one? Uh, they kind of flip flop. I think they are, but yeah. And then Alabama, LSU against your old coach. Oh, 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 man. I'll go LSU. Okay. All right. And then uh, Clemson, Notre Dame. Oh, you already know. ND. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, well, thanks brother. for coming out, Appreciate man. Appreciate it, bro. All right, buddy. Thanks, guys.